0: Northwestern's got to find the end zone to extend this game. Bryant pump fake into the end zone. It's caught. A.J. Henning keeps the Wildcats' hopes
1: alive. Here's Bryant going to throw it once again. Going middle of the field. Kurtz, touchdown. Bryce Kurtz, second touchdown catch of the night. And just like that, the Wildcats very much alive on this Saturday night.
0: Bryant fakes the handoff. Rolls to his right, goes all the way
1: back across the field. Wide open is Charlie Mangieri, and Northwestern has beaten Minnesota in overtime. It's that same play they ran against UTEP, The end league at the end, and the Wildcats, the few fans are storming the field. Go
2: crazy, Evanston.
1: Hey there. We're the Westlaw Pirates, and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter.
0: Woo! I'm John the baby. And I'm Eric Scuzz and I
1: rode this, Scouse Bow. You know, I was, I was just thinking as, as I'm going through our Open, it has been a minute since our tagline has been as appropriated as it was. That was
2: mentioned by at least one or two people on Twitter that no, no quarter was given, particularly the fourth.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it hasn't happened in a while, has it? I mean, yeah, we kind of um, like the second quarter. I would argue we kind of gave, but
1: um, but sure as hell not the fourth. Nope. <laughs> nope. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, what what a night. I mean, I I still you know a couple days later. You know, we're recording this on on. Monday night uh you know 48 hours after this incredible game against Minnesota incredible comeback 21 points down in the fourth quarter um you know, I'm still flying high John, I know by you know the text we've been getting from you the past you know 48 hours, you're still flying pretty high.
2: I I mean let's let's start here. I cried after this game and I've never done that ever. After any Northwestern game ever. And obviously, we go back. We have seen some doozies. We were talking before this that this isn't even the craziest comeback against Minnesota that a Westlot Pirate has been in a stadium for.
0: <laughs> you know what's you know what's so wild though? Technically, that was only like that was only a twenty point fourth quarter comeback. Um <laughs> It was more. It was more of a second half comeback, but still, your point is well taken. There were there were more there were more like like knuckle chewing fourth down conversions in that uh, in that victory right game yeah. in two thousand.
2: Right, the, we're referring to the two thousand victory right game. Yeah, there are fourth fourth down conversions and a, and a hail mary, but we all know that this is not a season like any other season. I think we're all very familiar with that, and I think. One of the perfect ways to get at our emotions and then, like, the experience that Sam and I had before, during, and after this game is, obviously, there's the freshman dash. And as we're so familiar with, like, in so many years, you have all the freshmen come through. So you get to see what one quarter of the Northwestern student body looks like. You watch them all make their way up and take their seats, and then you all watch them you trickle out the door as the game goes on and the tenor of this game being such that they really bailed out and that basically except for a core group of just of the northwestern diehards for the entire student body and an even smaller group of freshmen it was just that tiny pocket down at the front of the student section at the end of the game and obviously we're all familiar with With sitting up in the stands and watching there be some moment in so many games where a ton of the people who have paid a ticket to watch the game get up and leave. And so many of us are all like, don't you know, like, what cardiac cats are all about? Like, what are you doing? But the reason that I bring all of this up is there, there would, because of all that, there was a picture that a ton of people left and that this was a game that a ton of people bailed on. And I think that's such an interesting way to get at this because our people never leave. And our people are everywhere. And I mean everywhere geographically in and around the stadium and everywhere in terms of their connection to the program. We talk about how many students left. Well, all the students who did rushed the field. And in the middle of that crowd rushing the field was Kayla Cohen and all the Northwestern Wildside people who came to our tailgate before the game. And we talked with all of them. And they're the ones doing the unbelievable job of driving like that crazy turnout for the volleyball game Friday night and doing all that work. So they're out on on the field, right? And then we're sitting up with friend of the pod, Eric Miller, um, who the three of us all watched the game together, to our right – um, from where we sit are the young numbalums who tailgate right next to us and a bunch of them stayed and after the game sam and i went down to um outside of the locker room right where we saw carmine bastone's family where we saw rod herd's family we talked to thomas gordon we saw all of these different people right connected with the team side of it, right? And none of them, of course, the players, but all of their families are deeply invested and they're never going to leave. And then we know someone like, of course, like a Jay Sharman, like the Posts, he's never going to leave. And in the middle of all that in the locker room, we saw Bradley Locker and David Gold, whose call you heard right off the top of this broadcast after Dave ended and Lisa Byington's calls. They go tearing past us because they've just called the game of their lives and now they're going to go ask a million questions questions of david braun in the post-game press conference and those guys are dialed in and even if they weren't calling the game they'd never leave we know people from every walk of this community and they're all dialed in 150 percent. and if you're listening to this pod you are one of those people too there were three freshmen who came by the tailgate before the game And those guys were dialed in and being like, I'm so excited. We found you guys. This is our first football game. We'll stay to the end, you know, no matter what. And that'll be for the rest of their lives, their first Northwestern football game. Can you imagine? Right? And this particular summer, you've had all of these different groups that I just mentioned. And you know what? Like some of these groups have found themselves, you know on what some people would consider a side or another side, right? And we all are familiar with all of the issues and everything that went on and the, you know, the need to respect the victims and what they went through and all these different things. But we don't see sides. We only see people we know in this family from all walks. And it's been rough for everyone in this community. And I think when we pulled this miracle off at the end, that all just kind of landed on me and being like, everyone in this community has something we can celebrate together. And that's a big thing.
0: Yeah. I, 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 I agree with that. I, I, at the same time, I, I understand why someone would leave this game halfway oh, through sure. or turn it off at halftime. And that, and that doesn't cheapen any, anyone's fandom. I think like, I, I like we've seen that we've seen a lot of the, the three of us typically stay till the bitter end. Um, and that has been true since, you know, I went to my first game in 1998 and, uh, you guys as well. Um, but I, 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 I would understand why down 31 10, some folks were like, well, I, I don't think they've got the, the chips tonight and I'm, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm,
1: I'm going to turn it off I, like I understand, it, it, it's it's it was getting late I get it I, I yeah and see I see the mindset but, but I guess we're, scuzz, like
2: we're, scuzz are scuzz scuzz who are you a Chicago Tribune reporter my no, friend like what
0: no I like I just <laughs> I don't want anyone to hear what because I think y- your point yeah. was well taken John that like the, the community has a lot of facets and we love this team and they're worth rooting for We shouldn't give up on, on, on on these guys. And I guess, I guess what I'm, what bothered me most is, or what bothers me most is like, it's one thing to turn off the game, right. Or say, you know what? It's not going to work out tonight. It's another thing when people start to get, and I said this a little bit last week too, but when people start to get real, like pissy and say things like this team's, you know, years away, they're light years away. Um, they're never going to recover you know what What the administration did this summer. Um, they're never going to be anything without fits. Um, we don't have any Big Ten players. These guys all suck. I mean, if you've been a fan of Northwestern football for more than five minutes, you just know that all those statements are false on their face. And so I don't hold it against anyone to say, you know what? Tonight is just not their night, and I'm going to call it. And that's the only quibble I have with, with what you're, what you're laying out, John. But I think like the broader point is that like, if you're a fan of Northwestern, like be a fan to root for these guys and to cheer these guys on. There was, there was a thread that, that I really loved. Um, Brad North was responding to someone. So former center for Northwestern, Brad North. Um, he basically, he basically pointed out like, listen, all the guys on the team, like, like in the social media era, they see and hear everything that people say they see and hear everything that people say. Somebody, somebody's like shouts about how someone sucks. They're not a big 10 player. Like they got, they got no guts, no nothing, whatever. And let's be, and let's be frank. Like a lot of people were saying that about Ben Bryant in the first half of this game on Saturday. And he said like, listen, like at a certain, like they're not perfect, but at this point, like just enjoy the ride. Like there's a chance for these guys to, to get to what we all thought was totally impossible four weeks ago and that's six and six yeah three three weeks ago whatever after the Rutgers game after the Rutgers game we all thought a bowl game was just not in the cards and I so I like like where I'm going with this is that like I just implore everyone like if if you're if you're if you're in on this team right now if you're listening to this podcast you're probably in on this team right now like just like it it's not going to be great at times this next week much much like when we came off the UTEP game and we were kind of giving everybody the the, 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 the speech around like don't let the potential of, of a of a bad game against Duke ruin the opportunity to experience something fun against Minnesota. I'm gonna say that again after the UTEP game, we recorded our podcast forty eight hours after the UTEP game, and we said we're probably gonna get our asses kicked by Duke, but we have a real shot to beat Minnesota. Don't bail. And again, I understand anyone that bailed, but like the possibility was here. We're in a similar situation going into this next week, like Penn State. it is, it is it's not, It doesn't look good, folks, but there's great opportunity. They're, they're real good. Yeah. And there's great opportunity for this team. And I just I think the the a lot of Northwestern fans have this reflex to go super doom and gloom. And I like I cannot count the times that I have been. I am a more positive fan than the average fan. And I think that you guys are, are cut from a similar cloth. There's a chance to win almost every game as we go into it. And then like people are stunned when it happens at times. Like I'll never forget Ohio state in 2004 when we finally beat them. Mm-hmm. And uh, having spent all week talked about the, you know, the potential weaknesses of Ohio state, how Northwestern could step up. And every person I talked to, and this is when I still lived in Chicago, not Ohio. Every person I talked to was like, dude, you are nuts. You are just, you are taking crazy pills. What are you talking about? And that's part of the beauty of being a Northwestern fan is you get to, you get to think that way and you get to experience it and you get to, you get to enjoy it. And I'm going to contrast that with like, the season is over for a lot of Notre Dame fans because they lost a game. And when Notre Dame loses a game, that's the delineation between a successful year and not. And we, we don't have to live that way. And we don't have to operate that way as Northwestern fans, we can choose to ride the wave a little bit. And what I hear you saying, John is like the, like the people that chose to stay got to ride that wave in the greatest effing way this past weekend. I implore everyone to steer into that the rest of the season.
2: Well, there's every piece that you're saying there too, but then there's, there's, The other piece, too, where, again, this summer, it's gone a step beyond that. Again, we know because there are these victims, right, that we've talked about a lot, right, in past podcasts who, like, people are really hurting. And then we know, like, because we talked to a lot of these journalists, unless some of the same journalists that we saw that night, that those guys are getting just, like, really hateful stuff directed at them online. And then we also have parents coming to the tailgate. And telling us in vivid details about the way their players are getting targeted. And just people like from outside the Northwestern community are coming to their like Northwestern players online and saying just the most hateful things. And to what you were saying earlier, like the players see all of it and they're exposed to all of it. And like talking about a player being like, like a a parent being like I had to run my son's Twitter, you know, take it over for a while just because I didn't want him to be seeing it and stuff like that. From all sides, you have members of our community who are just there, like, it's been really bad. And again, some people drop sides in these kinds of things. We don't. All we see are people we know in this community who are hurting. And then you see a moment like this. And, like, Sam and I got to be outside the locker room and see, like, the joy on the faces of, like, the families and the, like, players when they came out, and, like, all the fans, and, like, the way Braun came out of that locker room, oh, my God, you could tell it's one of the best days of that guy's life. Um, It just, it all matters. And it all means so much. And it's, it's, this, for the same reason this was such a special game, like Scuzz said, like, the rules are different, not just at Northwestern in general, but for Northwestern this season. And, The heights that Northwestern... Like, we'll get to this down the road after we talk about the game. But, like, there's a path to a season that, on one hand, would not have the greatest amount of wins Northwestern has ever gotten in a season by any stretch of the imagination. And, on the other hand, would be one of the most incredible Northwestern football seasons ever. And that is, like, very much in play. Um, But I think one of the things... And I guess in the interest of, of starting to kind of look at this game, you were talking about Scuzz that, again, it's like a great way to look at this because it's like <clears throat> on one hand, you have the lived experience that so many of us Northwestern fans have had, literally the cardiac cats. And what we all know goes comes along with that and the reasonable expectation of that mixed with the fact that, as Scuzz said, like we are not shooting – like 12-0 – is not the reasonable goal of Northwestern every year. And that means any win at any time is potentially a seismic victory. But then you also have that going up against the fact that you, like, it's a beaten down fan base, as we know, over the past couple of of years. And like, that a lot of things come along with that. And I think even we, early on in this game, This game was a classic hallmark where like we, who our noses are to the grindstone, it was so easy in the first half to be like, Jesus, if we just weren't doing this, if we just weren't doing this, we'd be all over Minnesota right now. And then you put that up against the fact that as so many of you are aware, you're like, yeah, but doesn't this always seem to happen, at least for the past couple of years? So are we being the fools here for saying that's like, it's only X and it's only Y when you know the broken record seems to keep repeating and that that's a dark place to be in right and then you have it all click and then the team just goes here those things fixed now we're going to beat the brakes off someone are you ready and it, it's just as as our friend cat who is due any day now um all the best to you cat um with your pregnancy but said after the game like on twitter like for anyone who wonders why we do this this is why we do this it's for moments like this
1: yeah so um let's get let's get into the the game I, I think um you know start let's start with you know the defense i mean we were talking going into this like what does minnesota need to do to to be good. Like what how are they how are they gonna beat us? Or more what we hoped they wouldn't wouldn't do. <laughs> right, right. And like, they... What what is their best chance to do something and how you know, how do we make that not happen? And that was you know, them running the ball. You know, if if they were to run the ball effectively, then we knew there was gonna be some trouble. And and they kinda ran the ball effectively. They
2: I mean first of all, which I mean sorry to any Minnesota fan who's listening. We got the best game plan Minnesota could have brought to this game. <laughs> like, it's just the truth. Minnesota came out and they were like, all things run through Darius Taylor, and we will occasionally target in targeted situations, work Ethan Bonus out of those situations. It is the exact plan Minnesota should bring to every football game. And if you look at the stats, you see that Taylor. Had a big game 31 for 198 and two touchdowns. And you see that Kaliak Manas in limited duty, right, was 14 of 19 for 153 and two touchdowns. Like, in other words, he didn't throw a lot, and when he did, he hit the target.
1: And at the beginning of the game, he was like nothing was hitting the ground, he right? He was like he was what eight for eight, for his nine first for nine. 12 or something, yeah, like that?
2: something like something like that, some huge number. And though, so. Minnesota did everything that they needed to do. And in the second half, when they were protecting a lead, they really did what they were supposed to do, which was just feed it to Taylor nonstop, okay? Um, And all of that is well and good. But we have a man named David Braun coaching this football team. And that man adjusts like I've never seen. I mean, again, Mike Hankowitz is the man, and we all know. But I've never seen a D.C furiously adjust on the fly in the middle of a game like this man does and it is spectacular and he just started adjusting and it is like stop and think for yourself that Darius Taylor basically tore a hole in Northwestern to the like base he had close to 150 yards rushing in the first half of this game and then had about 50 in the second half And 43 of that was on one play where our defensive line. That play. That play blew up their offensive line. And we had him in the backfield. And, I mean, credit to him. He's an awesome football player. And he got out of it. And he went for a touchdown. But for that, he basically has no second-half rush yards. Think about that. How can a team that is blowing a hole in Northwestern, In the first half, with an amazing running back, suddenly hit a wall. It's because the adjustments happened, and we watched them happen. It's incredible how this man works. We talked about it in the UTEP game. He realized in that game how committed Dana Dimmel was to throwing the ball and adjust his pass rush personnel more and more and more until finally he dialed in the right frequency and he was getting back there to Hardison all day long. He did the run equivalent of that in this game. It was amazing. Late in the second quarter, they rolled out, and I'm sure they practiced it ahead of time, but I mean, this is a new thing. They rolled out a five-man super heavy front, and they started to deploy it off and on all the time throughout the game. And this five-man heavy front featured the scintillating debut of true freshman Dylan Roberts at nose tackle. And it was a heavy front. It radiated out from the middle from Roberts. And those guys took to it like a duck to water. And it worked. And you couple that with just, like, start with Xander Mueller playing out of his frigging mind in the second half of this game. And the guy's just stepping up. And the effort and the willpower. And you just watched Minnesota grind to a halt in this game on offense. Um, and again, for a team that had everything working for it in the first half, Minnesota didn't change shit in the second half of this game. Northwestern got better. And then it, Minnesota, what Minnesota was doing stopped working. And it is wild. I mean, for all of our broken record, gnashing of teeth, the years passed. Northwestern doesn't adjust Northwestern. Northwestern radically adjusted in this game, on the fly, and coupled with the amazing work of these guys on the defensive side of the ball, it totally worked.
0: That that on the fly piece is um, is interesting to unpack because I can't, I can't imagine they didn't practice this right because um, I think like John you've been you've been on the record since July defense the the interior of our defensive line is the biggest concern right and that the number one thing that we all saw going into the season that could could address that were our two highly touted freshman defensive tackles, Roberts and, uh, Gant, who I don't believe we, yeah, Ty Gant, who I don't believe we saw play in this game. Um, so it's like, it's not rocket science, but I just want like, just think, think about, I'm going to, I'm going to put it in this context. Notre Dame ran the last two plays of the biggest football game that they've been (laughs) in, in, three years <laughs> with, ten with only with, <laughs> with only 10 players on the field yep like g- getting your guys on and off the field when you're rotating when you're changing sets when you're trying to match personnel folks it's not easy that's true and i don't i don't i don't say that to like try to make it sound like rocket science It's really it's not but it's it's all about process and it's all about communication that that doesn't work on the fly. You can't just like grab a, it's it's not like backyard football where you grab a you grab a clipboard and flip it over and say all right guys scrap the game plan we worked all week installing.
1: Draw it up in the sand. You kind go of thing.
0: here. You go here. You go here, and that's what we're gonna do, right? Because like they're still running on. It's like okay, we're gonna run an extra defensive lineman on the field. We like this is our fourth game of the year. We've never done this before. So that like this requires a bit of planning and foresight and teaching and installing those sets during the course of the week but then also being thoughtful about how and when to deploy them in the game so that it works and i just i like i i think i think as fans we often it's it's easy to do and, and frankly the game makes it the way the game and the way it's covered and how pervasive it is makes it easy to do. Like it's, it's easy to simplify this game and think like, Oh yeah, they're just like, just do better guys. Come on. Um, but I just want to point out like all, all the moving parts. And i probably haven't even hit on like six others that it requires to make, to make that kind of adjustment in game and to have it be successful. And it just, it just goes to, I think part of it too, is that this is like, this is the type of thing that a lot of teams and coaches do. And I'm not trying to, to shit on Pat Fitzgerald, but like Saturday was the biggest hole in his, his sterling reputation as Northwestern's head coach. Like Sunday through Friday, there was no better person that could have run or operated this, this program. And maybe, maybe many other programs. Like he was extremely good at all those other things, coaching, recruiting, recruiting, motivation, etc. Um but this this was a hole and his assistant coaches have, have never, never done what we saw David Braun do on on, on Saturday to this degree.
2: Well and you yeah. can throw again so as long as we're talking about that personnel, throw Christian Smith into that, right? Because he's juggling all of that yeah, defensive 100%. line
1: personnel. And this is again this is and like he'd been doing that all season long too I mean the the wholesale changes like almost every play it's just incredible to watch those big men coming on and off the field as fast as they do
2: and and again
1: it's not
2: we've seen plenty of years past line shifts like this this group out this group in that happens sometimes but it's like guys you were talking about like am i you know What I'm not even sure, like what other pieces I'm missing of this. How about the fact Northwestern regularly plays two flex players. Rod Hurd is either he's in two different levels of the defense depending on the set, and that varies set to set. And Kenny Soares is the exact same thing. Depending on any given play, Rod could be playing safety, or he could be playing nickel slash outside linebacker, and Soares could be playing linebacker or defensive end. And then we have a third down pass rush specialist, Antosaka. We have this entire heavy package now that incorporates Dylan Roberts. We have multiple interior linemen, multiple exterior linemen. There is like a jack of all trades in Richie Haggerty, who is most likely to be on the largest amount of sets. But then there's also Aiden Hubbard, who I believe had a sack in this game, or at least close to one, and Jalen Pate. And it's all... Sizes and levels and combinations. And those dudes are switching this crap all the time. And the result of all of that work is that now, Scuzz mentioned it off the top, Duke, Penn State, okay, whatever. Against a ridiculous top 15, top 10 in the nation offense, like what Duke's throwing out there every day, that is dynamic in the run, dynamic in the pass, and can at will switch between those things, yeah, we're still in big trouble. But we are to the point now where if we know, I mean, think about this. If we know a team is going to throw, Braun has a really solid plan. And now if we know a team is going to run, Braun has a really solid plan. This has all been built out of nothing in the span of like four games. And that is
0: unbelievable. Yeah, I, I, that it's, it's a real testament to the players who have, who have adapted and adjusted and embraced this after the hardest summer that any of them have probably, probably gone through from a, from a football standpoint.
2: Oh, for sure. I mean, look, we put it up on Twitter today. Look at the last running play Minnesota ran, which was their second down, um, play in overtime. We rolled out that five man set and you saw, again, it's like we've talked about oxygen before you had PJ Spencer and Sean McLaughlin, both of whom were very much present for the horror show against the Gulfs last year. Um, And those two dudes, as part of this reinvigorated five-man front, um, where they're getting Christian Smith, they're getting everything from Christian Smith, they're getting everything from David Braun, they've got this new formation featuring Dylan Roberts and Nose Tackle that's putting them in a great position to succeed, and they're playing their asses off. And what did those two dudes do? They blew up the defensive linemen, Uh, Spencer actually shrugged his guy and was in on the tackle. But they created a zero surge. The offensive lineman, the center, the guard, and the tackle on the left side got zero push off the line of scrimmage. And Xander just had the table set for him. It was just right there. There was no push. He had no garbage to sort out. He saw the hole, and he was like, I'm coming. And he just blew it up with with an assist from Spencer. And it's like, you see the progression. And you see what this is doing to these dudes who are giving so much effort and you see it paying off and you see this team growing.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't, I don't know what to add to that. I mean, it's like what, you know, watching the, being in there, even in, even in the beginning, like it felt like the defense was playing decent. I mean, like they were, you know, causing, I mean, it wasn't, you know, obviously the offense hadn't been clicking yet, and we'll get to the offense in just a sec, but like you know, the defense was doing what they could. Well, so I like
0: here here's just some wild stats. Northwestern did not generate a single turnover on defense. No picks, no fumbles. They were credited, John. I know you just referenced one that may have happened, but they were credited with zero sacks.
2: Right. I think it was just over the line when Aiden got him. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Only four tackles for a loss. Um, but the, the Minnesota's running back averaged six point four yards per carry. Their their quarterback averaged eight point yards, eight point one yards per attempt. He completed seventy five percent of his passes. Um, it is it is really hard to look at this from afar. Like 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 Northwestern committed far more penalties for more yardage as well. But to, to look at this from afar and step back and say, like, my God, like, how how did the defense do this? And it really comes down to that that mindset and those adjustments in the second half. Mm-hmm. I mean, Mi- Mi- Minnesota's second half, they scored that touchdown, and then they went five plays in punt, five plays in punt, seven plays in field goal. That's That's not that crazy. Yep. So where I'm going, where I'm going here, like. This was old school cardiac cats, folks. This was Randy Walker era cardiac cats. The the offense, like the defense, set the table, but the offense had to bring it home. Oh, they, they, just, they had to show up. And la- yeah, la- last, last year's team unequivocally is not capable of scoring 21 points in the fourth quarter to send this game to overtime. The 2021 team not capable of scoring 21 points to send it to overtime. The 2019 team, not capable of scoring 21 points to send it to overtime.
1: Let's be honest, though. Did we think that this team was capable of scoring 21 points in the fourth quarter to come back? No, we
2: didn't. Yeah. And let let me just say this real quick, because I know Scuzz is going to dive in deep on this, is that's what I was talking about at the beginning, is because in the first half of this game, While, again, the defense hasn't yet made those adjustments, one thing that should mention, it's like when you dig into the stats, Minnesota was three for 13 on third down in this game, and newsflash, they weren't throwing for most of those. They were getting stoned at the line, especially in the second half. Minnesota was trying to play to their strength in the second half, and and they weren't getting it. But discuss his point, right, this was like lunch pail, non-flashy, stopping Minnesota you know, it was like tons of t- two and three yard runs. Right. And like, that's phenomenal, but it's not flashy. Well,
0: it was, it's very unlike all the cardiac cats games we've seen, like in 2020 is weird. So I don't want to reference 2020, but like you go back to 18 through 15 when we really had that elite defense, it was the defensive plays that were winning games, not, not the offense, and in this game, it was the the defense setting the table, and then the offense bringing
2: it. Oh, that's for sure. The second half. I mean, again, Xander Mueller had that monster play down the stretch. I mean, he had a couple of them. But you're right. And in the first in the first half of this game, at the beginning, I mean, this goes to what we were talking about before, and the place that every Northwestern fan ends up, because we were looking in the first half, and I was just going to map it out, but we're like, Jesus, if they would just stop doing this. And if Bryant would just do this, we'd be in this. And then, you know, against that, you have the cavalcade of people being like, "Yeah, same old, same old." Like you're trying to break it down. This team just doesn't have it. And all the stuff that was get is what Scuzz is getting so pissed about that he talked about at the beginning. And then you just see all of a sudden click at the end at the end of the second quarter and the start of the second half. And then the team's like, "Yep, here it is." Everything you've dreamed of, this is what it looks like. Um, and I, I
1: mean, I can't wait for Scuzz to walk us through it. Well, and and let's let's get to the offense now. I, I think you know, so one of, one of the biggest things I know going into this, we were, you know, John, you and I were just bemoaning, just and it wasn't just the penalties. I mean, yes, the seventy-seven yards and seven penalties is way too much 87 it was, it was, yards. oh excuse me excuse me 87 yards of penalties it, w- it wasn't just that it was the number of yards that were pulled back from you know they, they all came on big plays or a, a bunch of them came on really really big plays so it's not just like a 10 yard holding penalty it's a 10 yard holding penalty that negated a 35 yard run that's a 45 yard swing just right there that's half the field and like the penalties we were getting in the beginning of this game were i mean i i you can't say they were bad calls because i don't think they were bad calls they just most of the time were needless
0: yeah no, they, they were not bad calls they were just rough right. um I, w- I i i want to start on a positive note though um yeah absolutely and so i want i want to start with what was just imme- like immediately clear from the very first drive is that the improvement in offensive line play my god compared Mm. to week one versus it's unreal is huge yeah yeah i mean like they're better just straight ahead run blocking they're like dramatically exponentially better in pass production and even picking up blitzes like there were times where minnesota brought a linebacker um or a safety up the middle and they 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 did well with that. Now, you know, they missed <laughs> they missed that one like brutal corner blitz, but uh, that was probably more on the running back than, than than the O-line, but like that difference is is incredible. As a result of that, you can see again from the very first drive, you can see Bryant start to get just get more comfortable in the pocket. And as the game goes on, he gets more comfortable stepping up in that pocket. That's critical. Now, these two things in concert We're working so much so that Bajakian, finally, for the the first time I can (laughs) remember, goes to what we've been waiting for since the day he was hired. When we went back and looked at the Boston College tape from 2019, and we were like, who is Mike Bajakian and what does he do? We were like, oh, he runs a ton with heavy personnel, then does play action and throws deep. And Northwestern did that four times in the first half. The first three, Bryant just didn't put quite enough air. Well, the first two, he didn't just put quite enough air under the ball. And then the third one, I I think his arm was tipped or he was worrying about getting hit. And so it ended up being a bit of a wounded duck. The fourth one was an 80-yard touchdown pass to Bryce Kurtz. Um, that fourth one wasn't play action, but it was like, it was a double move by Kurtz that it would effectively did the same thing. But like the point, the point remains like
1: destroyed the quarter. this,
0: This is, this is who Mike Bajakian was before he came to Northwestern. And I have, I have some theories on why we haven't seen this to date. Um, the number one reason is that Ben Bryant has the most arm strength of the quarterbacks that have gotten the predominant, the predominant playing time, um, since Bajakian arrived here. But I like this, this was so instructive to me and, and, and to see like, John, you were upset. I was upset. Like a lot of people were upset that Northwestern was taking these deep shots and couldn't connect. And then it was funny, almost like on the heels of, uh, of, of, of one of our, uh, one of our, one of our friends on Twitter, like specifically calling this out, the Kurtz play happens. Right. Um, and it's like, that's this, this is why you design offenses that attack defenses deep in college football, because it's like, it's a risk reward game, but the reward is so great. That's why you do it. Uh, but then on top of that, again, going back to the fundamentals of better offensive line play, better QB comfort in the pocket enabling better yardage on first down, you start to see the creativity on second down. Like once you get to third, if it's third and short, you've got options. John talked about this a lot last week coming off the Duke game. If it's third and long, you don't have a lot of options, right? But if you're short and medium, you have a lot of options. and You're starting to see the creativity manifest in, in a positive way from Bajakian. Cause it's gone so wrong so many times. And I'm, I'm going to talk about some of those times in a split second,
1: but you can stay, take, ahead, stay ahead of the chains, right? That's exactly that's what we, but, we but, talked about.
0: But on, on second and mediums, you're seeing the jet action to hunting. You're seeing pulling guards, giving Porter options to run outside or to pick his way through the middle of the line. Um, it reminded me a lot of I'm forgetting his name, but the running back who played for Michigan State and then went on to the, the, um, the Steelers. Um, Kenneth Walker, he was no, no, the,
1: the Steelers,
0: the guy before that um, we will come back. It doesn't matter. But um, you're seeing the uh, the flat like flat action passes to Hyman. You're seeing you know Lausch getting into
1: the game like that. Creativity is possible on second and medium, and, and like the, the the Lausch piece, I, I just want to touch on that. Like it was not the like Simeon Coulter. You know he's going to run. Yeah, he ran, but like he threw. We were running. We had some misdirection going on. It was. It was really cool. Kept him out there from all th- It didn't start that way, but but we got there, which was good.
2: <laughs> well, so so I just want to so I just want to say something here because you're like everything you're saying is true and we're watching all this happen. And at the same time, after the last drive before the Kurtz play, we tweeted, I'll specifically call it on, I tweeted like you know it's Yeah,
0: let let's let, can we can we let's okay. put a pit in this real quick Cause before we, before we get to Bryant specifically, um, I want to, I want to hit on a couple, couple things like, so that, so that improved line play QB getting more comfortable, some creativity in a second. Now that's what was going well in the first half, but obviously did not manifest in a lot of points, right. The holding calls, um, the, the like Porter have had 50 more rushing yards. Um, they didn't need to hold the spring him. You had the Hyman run for, for 35. I think that was the second half technically, but, um, yeah. You had you had the Minnesota defensive line that was they were able to get close to Bryant a number of times and and, and create some real wounded duck throws that were damn lucky didn't get pissed, picked off. Um in my opinion, Northwestern was way too tight on formations in the first half. There were some formations like we almost always had a had a tight end, you know, lined up with the with, with the offensive line. That's cool. And and I and like I'm fine with that. I know but likes to run two tight ends at times, but when you've got one tight end or maybe two and you've got you know, two receivers split out wide, but they're no further away than the, than the, than the opposite hash. All 11 defenders are effectively able to attack the box. And it just like, I, to me, it just limits some of what you can do. I thought later in the game when, when Northwestern started shifting to much more like true spread sets, that's when you saw Bryant come alive. So that like, it's, it's not bad because when it's working, it it affords Bajakian some some really interesting riffs and counters that that we'll talk about later on, but that was a struggle to me. Um, I like I was not loving Lausch behind center. It felt like the new version of the Wildcat, no value unless a pass. And then they did start to pass. I did not like the <laughs> the trick play; didn't really work. Um, And 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 these things have, t- have been a have been a bugaboo for Bajakian. Um, I guess like kudos to them that they tried it and and. It, it wasn't greatly executed, but they didn't turn it over either, or didn't have a huge loss. So I guess better than some of those, you know, horrible jet sweeps that have gone wrong in the past. But it just like in that first half, like all those things weren't clicking, and it just felt it felt like, God, like John. To your point, if we just get away from this junk, we'd be we'd be rolling this team right now, or at least in the mix. Well,
2: up. I mean, it, it wasn't even. I mean, it was that, but again, it goes to all the baggage that we all carry, and yeah, when I tweeted, I'm like. Like, honestly, like we might need to see just a change in the status quo at quarterback here. It was a factor of Bryant. And I know you're going to get into the Bryant piece of this specifically in a second. And and Bryant not locating deep balls. But it was more just like a, as Scuzz said, we're sitting in the stands being like, Jesus, the line is totally protecting. And everything, the play calls overall look like the right play calls. We're going deep. Which is exactly what we should be doing in the exact right plays that we're doing it. And it's still not working. And we're talking about like, I mean, summing up like what this team was doing. And it was just because of pure execution, execution from Bryant and all of the frigging penalties. This is a team that was in God mode for the entire second half on offense that in the first half had a drive that featured negative 30 yards of penalties and a turnover Okay, that's where we started from in this game. And after a couple of those drives, I mean, it's that piece of you that's just like, well, I guess put Sullivan in and, you know, maybe we'll just see what he could do. Because, I mean, you're just basically like if like it seems like something's like we're just forever stuck in this place. It's and again, it's it's about not about Brian. It's that larger picture of like if we can't get it when the protection is good and the backs can run and the quarterback has time to throw and the play calls look good, then maybe it's just not going to happen. And we should just go to like another option or whatever. It's sad, but that's kind of where we were. Yeah. And that's where we tweeted it. And then two seconds after that, Bryce Kurtz went 80 yards to the end zone. And then they basically were just cooking with napalm for the entire rest of the game.
0: Yeah. 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 So I, I think that was a very warranted thought of shit. This is not working. Can we, can we break glass on the second option and, and, and just see um, what's not warranted is the people that have been, you know, really shitting on Ben Bryan as not a big 10 quarterback or so somebody referred to him as a hired gun, like just like absurdities that don't even make sense in, in like real life. Um, just people put, put that shit away. When you, when you feel the tendency to to tweet those things or say those things, like I get it. Like fan is short for fanatic and we're all warranted a, like a bit of emotional release in the moment during, in the game, but like some of that shit just swallow that. It's it, it it's not useful or helpful and it frankly makes you look like an idiot afterwards. Um but so here so here's what here's where it, I thought it was very warranted and I was in the same spot. I think I texted you guys like guys, I think I think I've seen enough and I want to see the backup um, after the second long pass that was targeted for Henning that didn't connect. Bryant was just, he, he just wasn't putting enough air under it. He, he threw it a little too hard, a little too far. You can see him lose focus and get frustrated and revert to some of the worst tendencies that we've seen. I I, I feel like I remember I was talking about Linsky a little bit in this, in this way last year, he started trying to play hero ball. The next pass he threw was thrown as hard as he possibly could to a tight end in triple coverage over the middle of the field. It almost gets Mm. picked off, but it bounces off the defender's hands. He's he's basically, he's basically trying to, to brute strength, force a ball through a tiny window. And it was on target, but it just like the window was so small. It didn't have a prayer on the next pass. He throws it as hard as he possibly can to, I think it was targeted to, to Henning or Cam Johnson who were, you know, maybe seven yards downfield at the boundary. And it, and it misses them by like four feet. Um, he, he, he loses confidence in his, in his reads of the defense. So he, uh, hands off to Porter when he probably should have kept it and either run or tried to throw and Porter gets dropped for a loss. And then on the next play, he keeps it and starts to bail on the pocket only only to realize that the linebackers are right on top of him has to kind of slide and and you know and falls down, you know, just over the line of scrimmage, well short of the first down line. That was when I was like, oh boy. Um but then on the like on the next drive he gets that shot to Kurtz and he starts to transform. And and I want to emphasize this like the only reason that shot to Kurtz was was possible. And John, you talked about this two weeks ago. Time. Time. That that what time the 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 pass protection against a Big Ten defensive line, and that's that's why I, I called out the comparison against Rutgers in week one and, and how far this line has come, particularly the offensive tackles and the time that they were buying for Bryant, his willingness to step up in the pocket. That is what allowed Bryce Kurtz to execute what was a absolutely stellar, phenomenal, amazing double move. Perfectly oh my executed. God. Like-
1: textbook double move textbook
0: me. like in a, like out of a video game double move um and and race for an easy touchdown but after that pass you can watch ben like if you recorded the game just go back and watch the offensive plays this is what i did this afternoon that that happened after that that pass you can see bryant transform he starts to, he starts to throw more in rhythm he starts to move even more in the pocket not just stepping up to avoid the tackles, but there, there's another play where he like takes two steps backward to buy space to make a key throw to Kurtz. Um, but it's really not until the last drive of the third quarter, and and then into the fourth quarter where he starts to get super comfortable. Not just moving the pocket, not just throwing in rhythm, but making really quick decisions. It's like he's figured out the defense. He starts with a couple of boundary throws, but then he goes underneath the hymen. Then he starts. Then he takes the late hit penalty. And almost wakes him up. This is like the very, like the last drive that, that ended the third quarter and then started the fourth. This is where Northwestern really shifts to a true spread concept Four receivers split out on every play. Now there, there were tight ends out in receiver positions, but nobody's up next to the line. Um, they're even getting a little like pretty wide across the field at times. And th- this is where he, you know, he, he starts to find that better timing. He's, he's hitting guys right away out of their break um, he's making quick decisions, getting the ball out fast. Um, he's finding his touch. That drop-in pass to Kurtz, I think, is the most beautiful pass we've seen. I like. It was just. It was incredible. Like, I don't know that I've seen a quarterback since Persa throw a ball with that kind of touch on it. Like Trevor Simeon had a really, really nice like back shoulder, um, twenty-five yarder that he would that he would uncork pretty regularly. But the ability to throw a high arcing like ball to drop into somebody's hands like that, I, I, I can't, I can't fathom the last time I've seen it from a Northwestern quarterback. Um, he starts finding his comfort throwing over the middle. The touchdowns to Kurtz and Henning are vintage Randy Walker era, like in breaking routes. Almost everything we've seen for the last six years to a ride receiver has been an out to the boundary. Mm-hmm. Um, the second to last drive in regulation, they they go back to some of those tighter formations. There's seven, there's now there's seven men in the box and, and uh, Joe Rossi is throwing literally everything at them, um, stunts and twists and all sorts of things. And uh, this is the drive where they don't score. Uh, They've got no room to run the ball. Um, He has to throw off his back foot to Kurtz and he's short. Uh, Bryant makes a courageous run for the first down. I might add that like both Bryant and Kurtz like hobbled uh, off or, or across the field with ankle injuries at some point in this game and still put up insane stats. Um, he, you know, he, he, he has that rollout throw, uh, roll roll out where he's running to the left. He's being chased. He just throws the ball away and gets tackled. He comes up limping. And then on third down, he makes an off balance throw to the, to the, to the running back that's off target gets dropped and into the drive. And, and that, that's when you're really starting to think like, Oh man, like that's probably when the Chicago trib Uh, writer was like, all right, I've seen enough Uh, Northwestern that writes the headline like Northwestern's comeback attempt falls short and they lose 31, 24 to Minnesota. Like it's published in the Chicago Tribune um, and distributed to people's doorsteps. Um, But the defense does an incredible job, gets them the ball back for one last drive. And this is when Bryant's decision-making hits his prime. And I realize I've been going on for a little while here, but it's just, it's just worth it. It was so good. So the other thing you see on this drive is the confidence and the buy-in from the other skill players to make plays. We've heard this from former players in the past. You, you, there, there are times it's, there are times where it's no longer about the coaching. Like as a player on the field, you just need to step up and make a play. And that's what I feel like happened on this last drive. So, um, Unlike the second-to-last drive, now Northwestern goes back to the four receivers split out. The tight ends are still playing, again, right? but we're we're, we're we're four split. Much like Joe Burrow, who I'm watching in the background right now, I might add. Joe Burrow loves empty, like nobody in the backfield, five receivers out there. Even if the team is, is bringing heat, even if the defense is bringing heat, he loves empty. He loves operating out of empty. What I'm telling you right now is Ben Bryant loves operating out of the true spread. Get those tight ends off the line of scrimmage. That that's how he operates best. This game showed it. Um, and it's it he just he's he's able to pick Minnesota's defense apart. He throws two checkdowns on the first two passes. Then he hits Cam Johnson at the boundary for like fifteen yards. Another checkdown. The face mask penalty. He finds Gordon over the middle in 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 like a, a hole in the zone. Um, he rolls out and throws the ball away. Like a, again, a smart decision. Then he gets Cam, Cam Jordan or uh. Cam Johnson again at the boundary. This is the sliding catch that they reviewed finds the running back over the middle hits Gordon at the boundary. This is where Gordon makes that great play to like sidestep the defensive back, get more yardage and still get out of bounds, which was like Mm -hmm. really terrifying for all of us in the moment. But again, player making a play. Awesome. Um, the next, the next play, Bryant somehow avoids contact and throws to Henning who again scampers and 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 wiggles to to get the first down, so the clock fade so so the clock stops um bryant throws an, an awesome route to to cam johnson in the m zone but good defense good coverage they can't they can't bring it and then the pump slant to henning looking off the 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 linebacker just incredible throw perfect timing perfect location um like this whole last drive, my point here, the reason I went through this in such great detail, Bryant is just has mastery over the Minnesota defense on this drive. And it is unlocked by the foundational play of the O-line earlier in the game, the step up in, in confidence and playmaking from his skill players that I believe they got from him. And the, um, the shift to a to a true spread formation instead of the the tighter sets that we saw earlier in the
2: well year. and the other thing too I mean let's let's make sure to say it because I mean it's it's a prickly subject to say the least, right? Mike Majakian, on one hand, we all know, okay? Everyone knows. I don't have to say it. Everyone knows. You listen to the podcast, you know. It is also true that in the last five halves of football that he has coached those five halves include the two best halves he has coached in his Northwestern tenure. That includes the second half of the UTEP game. And the second half of this game in this game, his play calling was incredible. And we talked about it like the first half he's calling all the right plays. Those like deep posts with Henning were like, like son of a bitch. It's there. It's there. They were there. All the ball, they were the there. ball just has to get to him. And it's so funny, like you talk about the thing with Brian, like Brian goes from, from missing heading on a couple, you know, you should have had him flows in the first half to throwing radio controlled footballs in the second half where that one to Kurtz was like, I mean, I, put that in the NFL draft highlight reel. Like that one, I mean, just yeah. unbelievable.
0: Can I tell you about the best play call that BJ King had all night? Which one? Was it the last play of the game? It's the last play of the game.
2: Well, wait, before put it, before you go there, I want to talk about the two plays right before that. Because we've talked before about like how we've had this feeling that Bajakian will run out of steam and like sometimes occasionally like you'll see a team the team get a score early and then just like nothing else happens after that, etc. And his best his best stuff was down the stretch at the end. And the the first of all the drive to score um uh the the drive to score the the touchdown that made it 17 points uh or no the the score of the touchdown that made it 24 points that ended in kurtz's touchdown that was just yep. surgical i mean it was just every play call was the right play call that drive happened in like two seconds yeah that were was up like there fi- be-
0: that was like five passes and yeah then-
2: we're, we're up there being like holy crap and then but that the drive that ended in henning's touchdown Henning makes that unbelievable play. Brian and Henning both made unbelievable plays to get that ball down um, to whatever it was, like just outside the 10, and then spike it with 10 seconds left. The play calling after that was perfect. So first of all, they throw the fade to Cam Johnson, which if it had worked, great. It didn't work, but it was a series of plays where if that play didn't work, it perfectly set up what Bajakian was trying to do on the next play, which was tell Bryant to look Tyler Newbin off by staring to that side again, just enough for him to rifle it to henning over the over the field. That play was so perfect that if that play had been incomplete, we would have still had another play to run before the game ended. It was perfect orchestration it was it couldn't have been a more efficient and effective use of the final 10 seconds of that game and those were the two plays that came right before the next play northwestern ran which was the only play they had to run in overtime
0: yeah it's it's a it's a really good point of how well executed those last three drives were and i like northwestern like northwestern in 2020 didn't even have to do this really like there were there were I don't think there were any like comeback type games that season. There were, there were a couple of, um, you know, needed to go late. Was
1: it Iowa, uh, Iowa game?
0: Not really. Like maybe, but, but we were down three, right? We were down 10, seven and scored the touchdown to, to, to Skoranek on the, on the incredible catch. Yeah. Like you didn't have this, this need to, to stitch together a surgical, uh, a a surgical offense, like several surgical offensive drives. Right. Okay.
1: Like a multi-score um, comeback. Yeah. But so,
0: <laughs> let's talk about this first play in overtime. So, something that first, Northwestern first does... First and only. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. Something that Northwestern under Bajakian does a lot that I hate. They will roll the quarterback out to the short side of the field, and they will run a bunch of crossers to that same side of the field. And nine times out of ten if the quarterback, well, I'll I'll put it this way. If the quarterback isn't throwing the ball away or deciding to kind of like try to run just to get back to the line of scrimmage, they're showing, they're throwing like a short five to seven yard completion to a tight end. I hate this play because the short side of the field offers like no space for anything to develop. It's pretty easy to defend. You're Um, cutting the field in half. You're cutting the field in half. You like, you, you we don't have the the physicality to expect our blockers to like knock guys down to to give the quarterback, you know, the 6 or 7 yards to make that type of play worthwhile. I I hate that play. We ran that play earlier in the game and it was a 5-yard pass to Mangieri, like or I think. Just awful. I hate it. On this play, this was the same play. However, instead of running a short crosser to the short side of the field, Mangieri floated through the linebacker traffic in the middle of the field and then ran into the space on the backside, wide open. This was an incredible counter off of a very prevalent play in Northwestern's playbook. And it was beautiful and it worked to perfection. And I love that they ran it on first down. Just like, we're going to go for it.
1: Like, like we're, we're, we're going to try to end this game right now. And well, John, worked. what, what did, what did I say to you right after Minnesota had to settle for the field goal? I turned to you and said, all right, kid, you're all clear. Let's blow this thing. <laughs> yeah, and go home." That was fantastic. We had just
2: enough time to get that tweet up, to be like, that's how we were feeling at that point for everything that scus has been saying, that by that point, and by the way, in the replay of the game, you know who else knew? P.J. Fleck knew. The second they kicked that field goal, he just shakes his head and looks down at the ground, and he's like, we're effed. Because he knew. He knew at that point, and again, to Bajakian's credit.
0: Did you see the trajectory of the field goal that was kicked?
2: It, we didn't see it from until we watched the replay later, and I was like, "That thing about hit the side, that thing about that's, hit the crossbar." That's bar. what he
0: was shaking his head at. He was just like, "Oh my god, I can't, I can't
1: like." But it definitely yeah. had the look right of like we needed a touchdown here going into overtime. Like you looked at this both the sidelines, right? Right. You looked at the Minnesota sideline, and they were all just kind of spread out. There, were, you know, there was no movement, no activity. They were all just like shell shocked. And you looked at the Northwestern sideline, and everyone is bouncing around and high energy and excited. And like momentum was clearly yeah. on our side yeah. at that point. Well, and much and much
0: and much like UTEP, Northwestern had scored. Now it wasn't four straight drives with touchdowns. It was four of five drives or I'm sorry, three of four drives ending in touchdowns. And it just, it felt like getting a touchdown here, getting 25 yards after what we saw in the last three drives is totally plausible for this Northwestern offense. And I love that they didn't like start with like, okay, let's, let's, you know, let's run the ball and set the stage. No, they just, they went, they went for it. And it was a extremely well thought out play and it worked to perfection and it was executed to perfection. And I like so much credit, so much credit to Bajekian, a guy that I have um, said a lot of mean things about in the last, you know, 36 months.
2: Well, and the, I mean, again, right at the, in the, at the, in the key moments of this game, at the very end, our guy up in the booth was like, I've got to play for this. I've got to, I'm ready. I've got this. I've got the right thing to do here. And then he did it. And it's like, again, it's like suddenly seeing what it all tastes like when it works is such a powerful thing. Not just for us as fans, but for the players too. And I mean, again, this is a team that you know the line and tight ends are so mad at themselves when they look at the film this, this week and being like, How the hell did we commit this many penalties? And I'm telling you, we talked about it earlier. We've watched the film. A bunch of these penalties, several of the Porter runs and Hyman's major run were penalties that A, did not affect the outcome of the play. They had like, had the penalty been not committed, the back still would have got the same amount of yards and happened in situations where our guy won the battle. And then just held on for too long. I mean, and like, can you imagine how pissed those guys are right now? Being like, we kicked the crap out of their front for an entire game and shot ourselves in the foot eight times. And how mad they must be. And again, like, dominated them. Like, ain't making that up. We closed this game on a 37-13 run. Okay? Like, and it was there prior to that point. And those guys are just like pissed. But again, it goes to like the frustration of being like, oh, and then you see it come together and like, oh, yeah, that's right. When a quarterback is locating his receivers and the backs can get into space and the line is protecting all day, you should be able to cook the other team. And that's exactly what they did. And it's like, you talking about like what a team takes out of this, like spiritually. On one hand, it's like they're seeing, oh, OK, now we know. When we play our game the way it's supposed to be played, it's absolutely good enough against a ton of the teams on our schedule. Um, And then just like the spirit of it, because we haven't even talked about, Sam alluded to it earlier, but there was that pair of vicious gut punches that happened mid third quarter of this game that I was staggering on my feet after they happened. And I was like, those were brutal. Back to back. One was Hyman's run where we had all of this positive momentum. We were on the comeback. You know, we had gotten the field goal, but then we immediately stopped him. We got the ball back. And then Hyman immediately rips off this crazy long run where he looks just fantastic. Um, red shirt freshman Joseph Hyman, I might add. Um, looked absolutely fantastic on this play, blows it wide open, the place is going nuts. And then that holding penalty brings it all the way back. And it was a callback to all the penalties that had been in the first half. It was this brutal kick in the nuts. You knew we were, that drive was over. And then Minnesota gets the ball and then it gets to fourth and one. And then Taylor breaks off that run on fourth and one. Those two plays happening back to back were an absolute kick in the teeth. And this team shrugged those things off and played nearly perfect football from that point on in the game. And it's like, what do you think that does to a team? Like, that team, every guy in that locker room like, there is no point when we are down. I was laughing. Lisa Byington, who you heard right off the top of this call, there's a moment in this game where Lisa Byington says, well, Minnesota has all the momentum right now. And at the time she says that, Minnesota's up 31 to 10, and there are two minutes left in the third quarter of a game Northwestern wins. It's unreal. Those guys right now are like, there's never a time. There's never a time when we can't dig out of it and come back and win, and we know how well we can play when everything clicks now. So it's like, I mean, it's immeasurable. It's immeasurable what a performance like this will do for this team going forward.
0: Yeah, the the confidence building's massive. Um will you guys indulge me with a couple more comments on where I think the offense goes from here? Sure. It's a celebration, bitches. <laughs> um so I you know, I I some of this is a little bit in summary, but um you know, I, I, again, I think the calls for Sully to play during the game were very fair because Brian had lost his confidence. He'd lost his cool in the second quarter, but there is clearly a reason that they named him starting QB at the beginning of the year. And that it's, the coaching staff have been like, locked now. In on that. Yeah. yeah, it's his job now. Uh, he is he, like, it's written in cement. Um, now he also took a couple shots in this game. He was, he was hobbled on his ankle at one point. Like, like I, you know, um, Making sure that he stays healthy throughout the year is is going to be kind of important. But if you want to know why Brian has been named the guy, nobody else has an arm like his on the team right now. He's picking he's making passes that only Trevor Simeon, I believe, had the arm strength uh, and touch. And touch is the important part there to make yeah, the last right. few years. Um, I you know I said it before. I think this is the very first time we've we've truly seen what Bajakian wants the offense to look like: hard running with play action, long balls and riffs off of that framework. Um, it, it requires the right protection from the offensive line. And it requires the right patience and comfort from the quarterback in the pocket. Allow allow me to express my somewhat half-baked opinion on why quarterback has made no sense for the last four years. Um, and, and, and no shade to Peyton Ramsey. Let me just say that off the top. I've, I've said this several times, uh, Leading up to this season, like Peyton Ramsey was amazing. I love everything Peyton Ramsey did for this team. I think he was held back by the coaching staff. He reverted to have like one of his worst seasons statistically um, as, as, a, as a college quarterback, the year he was with Northwestern. Um, I don't think that's by accident when you then also look at Halinsky and Hunter Johnson and the other guys that have been through this quarterback room, the last, you know, four or five years. It's been really rough since Clayton Thornton last since Clayton Thorson graduated. Nothing has made sense at the quarterback position until Saturday. Um again, my half-baked opinion, I think Hunter Johnson had the talent to do what we're seeing Ben Bryant do. But he had he had more limited um but he but he but turnovers were a problem. And right or wrong, I think I think Fitz was very fixated on turnovers and said, you know what? Like we can't carry on like this. We've got to make a switch. Um, if Bryant threw, you know, four picks in the first half of this game, I like, I don't think any of us would quibble with if the coaches decided to pull him and put Sully in. Yeah. Um, but I think Hunter had a short leash and it, and it was never able to happen. And some of that might have been just the personality and the way he showed up um, and, and the, 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 the leadership qualities he had. We've talked about this in the past. Like, it just didn't click for whatever reason. I think Halinsky probably has the arm talent to do this, but he had even more limited mobility than Bryant. And he struggled to be accurate on the short stuff. But he gets into the same kind of hero ball situations, you know, risking turnovers, etc. He also didn't have the same weapons last year. So that that's a factor to keep in mind. Um, we heard, uh, Bryce Kurt stuck in the post game about four knee surgeries that he's had, um, and how, and he, he said, you know, it, it, it's all worth it for the 215 yard day that he put in on Saturday. Big 10
1: offensive player of the week.
0: Yep. But, but those injuries plus the inability for us to development, to develop players like, um, Wayne Dennis and against Hooper price these past few years, like that, that's been a killer to, to what this offense could be. um, I think Peyton Ramsey had the decision making, the calm, the mobility, et cetera, but he didn't have the arm strength. Um, much like we talked a lot about Boo Booey last year, that calm and that poised quarterback is so critical, and I think he saw it from Ramsey, and I think we saw it for the first time from Bryant in the second half. And then you know Sullivan, Lausch, Marty, these guys are all very capable. They're they're athletic specimens. They can be super accurate throwing the ball, in addition to the the, the prowess they have running the ball, but they just don't have the arm. Or the touch to throw the type of passes that we saw Bryant throwing in the in the you know waning moments of this game to bring the team back. That that doesn't mean that like you can structure an offense around uh, a mobile QB that's that's not going to give you a great chance to come back in a game. That's hard to do when you have a defense that is um, susceptible to um, to game plans like like we saw from Minnesota now adjustments are great and i think this defense continue to be good but like we, we all know this isn't an elite defense we've got a, we've got a great coach that is going to do everything he possibly can to get the very best performance out of the defense but we know we're not shutting people out this year that's just not how it's going to play right so I, I you know i believe that that Bajekin can even be even better than this game showed um less ov- less obvious trickery um, a little like continuing to build that creativity, more, more deception via motion and formation and play calls as opposed to the trick plays. Um, I think there's a lot of, of, of potential there. And I think, I think some of the foundations are starting to crystallize and, and John, to the point you were making right before I started this diatribe, like the, the confidence, um, of the, of the players themselves to, to be able to, to like the boost that this is going to give them, that's going to be massive these next couple weeks in practice.
1: If you or a loved one is seriously injured by someone else's negligence, hire Kent Simpson of the Simpson law group. After over a decade prosecuting murder cases in Chicago, Simson opened his own firm focused on wrongful death and personal injury cases. He specializes in car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and other transportation accidents, as well as construction accidents, medical negligence, slip and falls product liability, and more. Millions recovered for clients, no fee, unless he wins the Simpson Law Group, compassion, empathy and vigorous advocacy. Go to SimpsonLawGroup.com or call 312-332-2107 for a free consultation and go cats. I I, I really don't want to stop talking about this game just cuz it, it was you know it's just so meaningful and so like could be a program changer potentially. I mean that might be a little bit of hyperbole, but like well let's you know you I I I'm I'm, I'm just kind of thinking big pictures, like after that game, is there more or less of a chance that, you know, Braun gets the interim tag removed? I, oh man, I mean, I, wanna I put a, can, I, we, can we, I, can I we mean,
2: just, I, I, I like someone grabbed that horse. that's running ahead of the cart. We got to pull yeah, it back. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, no, yeah. That, that's no, that's fair. Can, that's can fair. we,
0: I, I've been really curious, John, like, and maybe we can use this as a pivot to Penn state. Like, so I just, you know, waxed and waned, about the, the, the state of the offense going forward. Like John, based on what you saw in the second half, like we've got, you know, Penn state coming up this next week, Penn state ran the ball 57 times against Iowa this past weekend. What, like, what, like, like, how do you, like, do you see, do you see shades of defensive evolution that are going to show up play to play? Or do you think we're going to, we're going to effectively come out where we started this last game and, 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 try to adapt uh as we as we go as we go forward on the defensive side
2: well we say going forward on the defensive side I mean again we we have to stop back and we have to like look at the two pictures that are very likely not on the same track that are everything this season can be and this Penn State game right yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. this is everything we said about Duke I mean that ain't nothing okay like Penn State is a national title contender. That is not hyperbole. I'm not saying they'll win the national title. I'm saying prepare yourself right now for the situation that Penn State loses to Michigan, beats Ohio State, and then gets that fourth CFP playoff spot and is playing in the national title consideration. That is very much in
0: play. Or beats both of them and yeah, goes. Yeah, they, they absolutely could. This I mean, team is the Big
2: team is, is
1: three th- teams.
2: This team is rated sixth in the – I mean, we'll see. We'll see if they're three teams because right now I see Michigan and Penn State. But we will – but they very possibly are underranked at sixth in the nation. They have a young quarterback who's figuring some stuff out sometimes. But you know what? Like when – like he got to play Illinois and Iowa and – in like when people look at the box scores from those games or look at the score lines from those games, they ain't going to notice anything that he did. They have two electric running backs and they have what quite simply is the best pass rush in the nation. It just is. They are the best pass rushing team in the entire frigging country from the outside. No one is better. And they have the best pass rushing coach in the country. They have maybe the best defensive ends the best outside linebackers, two amazing cover corners, and Manny Diaz bringing heat like a lunatic from the it's they they're the best at it. This year with this personnel compared to what everyone else is working with on their team, they're the best at it. They have two elite running backs and a quarterback who's kind of figuring stuff out on a, in a season where there is no true king team. Michigan is in the running, but there's no team where everyone's like, oh my God, that team's unstoppable. Penn State's unbelievable. They're an unbelievable football team. And on the flip side. So there's, so there's that piece of it. Then there's a couple of other things because it's like what we all saw, the potential of this team, what a win like this does for a team like this. We talked earlier about the 2000 footballs team. And I was thinking about the fact that at the beginning of that season, Northwestern played a team down south um, with, you know, a like a top 20 team with an elite offense led by a Heisman Trophy candidate. And we got our clocks cleaned by Ladanian Tomlinson and TCU, um, just like this team got smoked by Riley Leonard and Duke. And the week after that game, they went up to Camp Randall and played the number seven Wisconsin Badgers and walked away with a win. Things like this can happen when teams find a path and things click and a team just finds what they're doing. I'm not saying that will happen. Um, I'm saying there is that piece of it. But on the other hand, and this is where I think a giant dose of perspective is in order, I think people, and a lot of people already are, need to step back and realize that there is a path to that, that 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 a path that ends at one of the most incredible Northwestern football seasons ever And that path involves a win over Howard and three other wins. And I think most of us are pretty realistic and we're thinking that group of three does not include this Penn State team. you know who could be in that group of Three, have you been watching college football this year? Any other team on Northwestern's schedule? This is so in front of the Cats right now. And again, if Northwestern shocked the world against this Penn State team, sure. But suddenly all of us are looking like, for starters, if Northwestern beats Howard, Northwestern, this team that most of the nation thought was going to go 2-10 and 10 this year, will be playing a potentially very bad Nebraska team in Lincoln for a chance to be four and three, seven games into the season. That's not pie in the sky. That's incredibly reasonable. If the Cats execute and play everything we saw in the second half of this game. So it's like, Scuzz was saying earlier, it's like, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater with Duke, and you sure as hell don't do it with Penn State now. So it's like, yeah, I mean, like you were saying, Scott's like circling back those 52 carries. I mean, their running backs are f- incredible. Like, they're an unbelievable running football team. And they, I mean, what did Cade McNamara threw for like 46 yards? Like, this team is capable of crushing other teams in the big game.
0: Forty, 42 yards. Yeah, 42 yards.
2: It's like they're, and this is a week after they obliterated Illinois. Like, and, and obliterated Illinois without playing their best football. Like, whatever happens in this game, if we produce amazing stuff and, and do amazing work, phenomenal. But otherwise, you just have to divorce yourself from this game because it runs counter to the entire narrative that is suddenly shaping up for the potential of this season and basically every other team
0: Northwestern's going to play
1: yeah i mean the the West is not good it's it's very
0: bad. it's very bad i like just to break down what John was saying a second ago i wrote I wrote this down this afternoon, so Howard and Purdue are the next most likely wins for northwestern um Nebraska and illinois after that um i like I definitely think that I would definitely give this Northwestern team a chance against what appears to be an increasingly broken Iowa every week and then, absolutely. Um, and oh, yeah. then, you know, it, it might take it might take a little bit of a of a wing and a prayer and some weirdness against a Maryland or a Wisconsin. But there's, those teams are not in, in some, you know, other stratosphere for Northwestern. Um, the other thing I'll say about Penn State, like I like I fully expect Northwestern to get their third.
2: Their, Penn and State's what a more than three touchdown
0: points. favorite, right? Twenty six. Twenty Yeah, And and they should be. And 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 you know, going back to last week they beat Iowa thirty one nothing. It's number seven playing number twenty four. Iowa's gonna fall out of the rankings. Um, it's kind of what you would expect. At the same time, like I like Iowa fumbled the ball four times. That's why Penn State had time of possession for over forty five of the sixty minutes of this game.
1: Oh my god, really? Yep. I didn't. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah,
0: so four fumbles. Penn State ran 97 offensive plays. They had 40 passes and 57 rushes. Iowa ran 33 offensive plays. That's
2: unbelievable.
0: A three-to-one ratio. Now, now take away those four fumbles. It's probably still, like, significantly lopsided. But um, the point remains that, like, this was a horror show game for Iowa, and and, and you can you cannot separate what you said, John, about the pass rush from Penn State from those fumbles. Like 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 those aren't those aren't random, but it is important to 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 note that like the Penn State you saw in this Iowa game was like Apex Penn State, and the Iowa you saw in this Penn State game was like bottom of the barrel Iowa. <laughs> now, so I like that this. That doesn't change what I think is again Northwestern being pretty outmatched this week. And what I will be looking for is, can can we continue to see growth on the offense? Do do we see the signs of, you know, what like the adjustments we saw on defense? Do do we do we see Dylan Roberts and like how does he look against some of these Penn State offensive linemen? Do we see Ty Gant? Do we see the the linebackers and the defensive backs being to hol- able to hold up in coverage against these very talented wideouts like? These are the markers to know that what to, to reinforce that what we saw against Minnesota, what we saw against UTEP, was not uh, an outlier. It, it's it's the nature of this team, what we can expect when they're playing these other teams that are more uh, of a of a similar ilk in the West.
2: For me, regression's almost impossible in this game. I don't care if Kent if if Penn State blows us out. I just don't care. Penn State yeah. might like Penn State. There is a path where they're the best team in the country. I don't think that right now, but they are for sure in the conversation. And this is about, like, it, to that extent, it's about them. I'm exactly like you. I'm thinking about our two tackles who, as we tweeted, again, Caleb Tiernan and Josh Thompson. Like, those two guys potentially have two and a half seasons playing together ahead of them if, if things break the right way here, right? Learning experience. You're facing Adizik Isaac, you right. Abdul Carter and like, you know, the not Abdul Carter, um, but Adizik Isaac and like some of the most, like some, like absolutely terrifying group of guys coming off the outside from Penn state and it's work. It's tough. It's all going to be blitzes and blitz pickups and elite athletes playing against you. And it's a learning experience. If things go well, fantastic. If not, you learn kind of the, the place that you're trying to get to, um, the big, single biggest thing, I want guys to stay healthy in this game, come out of this game in the best shape possible. If something is shaping up here like a truly miraculous situation, then fantastic. Um, but otherwise, again, we have that Howard game for homecoming that, at worst, if we just handle what we're supposed to handle in that game, puts us at 3-3, three and three, six games into the season. Um, going into the bye week. Going into the bye week and then facing a eminently beatable Nebraska team. So it's like, I think at this point, like we are all like, like focus on the larger goals here and be very aware of just how good Penn State is. And uh, again, it's like, I don't, I don't see regression here. I'm like, things could bounce backwards and like, Again, this is a situation where even if the play calling was like not everything that Scuzz is outlining that needs to get to be like, you're talking to me to be like, look, if the Penn State game's out the window quick, then save it. Save it for those games that are going to be the games that we remember just like this one. Um, but we'll see. You know, th- this team that was absolutely on fire in this fourth quarter, maybe they've got a little something for Penn State. Maybe we'll find out.
1: All right. So we're going pretty long and I don't want to, I don't want to like go through the entire schedule for the big 10 last week, but were there any games that really stuck out to you that, uh, you know, we deserve a second talk. Well, um,
0: there's a couple air raid versus air raid on Friday night. Wisconsin seemed to get right against Purdue. Um, they also, uh, unlike previous games, they gave it to Braylon Allen right out of the gate. Their first drive was an eight play touchdown drive. Braylon Allen carried the ball four times on that drive. So, that, so Wisconsin seems to be figuring out, like, oh, maybe, maybe our bread is not buttered, but, buttered by just giving the ball to Tanner Mordecai, play after play after play after play. So, didn't um,
1: didn't Chase Malusi get hurt?
0: Um, no, he. I mean, he ran the ball.
1: No, I think he got hurt. He got carted off in that game. Oh, like well, right. okay,
0: so but 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 point point being, like, he played first drive. It went to Braylon Allen. Okay. So, like, yeah, Malusi. It, it, like the problem was not Malusi versus Allen. The problem was sure, like, sure. like, like letting Tanner Mordecai, I mean, Tanner Mordecai still carried the ball 14 times in this game, which is bonkers um, for a team with Braylon Allen on it. But like, whatever. Braylon Allen averaged 7.3 yards per carry and two TDs. And then um, Wisconsin's past, kind of, kind of showed up against Hudson card and really kind of knocked him back down a peg.
1: Uh, do you want to say anything about Ohio State and Notre Dame that we haven't said yet? Like Ohio State should have lost
0: this game, full stop. I mean, again, it's like Ohio State won.
2: I guess I'm like I, but to, like Kyle McCord didn't look too bad though. I yeah, like. I mean, uh, I, again, I'm. Penn State, I mean we'll see. We're going to see this Penn State team next. I would imagine this Penn State team is licking their chops looking at Ohio State right now.
0: Penn State is definitely better than Ohio State. And I and I don't I don't necessarily buy like the Ohio State defense is back kind of thing. Um there's a lot of that talk after this game. I you know, I, I they just they should have lost. But like beyond those two games, though, I don't know that there's anything else like super notable. We talked about Iowa, Penn State
1: already. All right. So uh, this upcoming weekend, um, you know, <laughs> Penn State by 20, uh, Penn State, a 26 point favorite with the over under at 46. It's 26
2: points of house money, as far as I'm concerned.
1: I'm like, I'm, I'm, keep guys healthy, develop. On we go. I mean, just play, play like you got nothing to lose. Yep. Yep. Uh, also, 11 a.m. on Big Ten Network, uh, Louisiana at Minnesota. Uh, Minnesota, 12 and a half point favorite at home.
0: Well, Darius Taylor sat out the last couple drives for Minnesota because he, I guess he got hurt. Um, yeah. Like
1: hamstring, I think
0: I, my, my observation, I felt like Minnesota, Minnesota of the last two years with Mo Ibrahim would have beaten Northwestern cause they would have just ground us out with, you know, run after run after run on those last couple drives. And, and, and I could be wrong about that. That's my sense in the moment. And, um, you know, we talked about it coming in this year, like, the, like,
2: if they if they had their line if they had that yeah, line yeah. also
0: they're just they're just not as as dominant in the run game as they've been the last couple of years and that changes the complexion of their team without taylor um i don't like i full stop i don't think they lose to louisiana but they might not look good winning
2: sure. i could care less if they win or lose to minnesota uh, to louisiana we're about collecting wins right now yep. and uh, we collected minnesota <laughs> on
1: we go uh michigan at nebraska 230 on fox michigan an 18 point road favorite
0: you, you know nebraska will be fired up for this because they always get fired up for these big games you know they, they've when they've hosted ohio state the last couple of years um they've always come out swinging and looked pretty good in the first half and then they wilt in the second that is what i would expect of this game
2: it's possible i would say you know as a brief call back to last week Rutgers got a great start against Michigan and it definitely had the feel one no shade to Rutgers who looked pretty good and has looked pretty good this season. Um, but as we all know, Michigan's basically been asleep for a month and I feel like they got their wake up halfway through the Rutgers game. And I think they're awake now and they will arrive at Nebraska fully awake.
0: Uh, f- fair fair enough. I Like I think you're giving Rutgers a little too much credit for, for, busting a big pass on the first drive. And then they had one, they had a 10 yard drive, a 10 yard, 10 play drive where they missed a field goal. Everything else in the first half was, was three. And well,
2: out. It it took a while though. It like, I mean, I was watching the beginning of that game. Cause I wanted to see how good Rutgers would look and, and eventually Michigan kicked it into gear. Um, but it took De- a little while
0: defensively. Yes, you're correct. Michigan didn't really like fire up until, until, um, the second quarter.
2: I think part of it is I think there's a really good chance Nebraska is not as good as Rutgers, and I think they're getting a Michigan team that's
1: a little bit more awake than they were at the start of the Rutgers game. Uh, you've got Indiana at Maryland. Uh, Maryland, a 14 point home favorite. Maryland
0: smoked Michigan State this past week. Talia's looked really good. Like
2: uh, the fact that it's only 14 is kind of shots to Indiana. Honestly, like again, Indiana is is a better team than their record is right now. And uh, again, like you've got Talia throwing for all the yards, the fact that they're only favored by 14. I don't know. If Indiana could make it a 14-point game, I'll be feeling better about our chances against Maryland, that's for sure. But I guess I'll believe that 14 points when I see it.
1: I'm, I'm sorry. I'm suffering from a little PTSD seeing T Tagov- Tagovailoa and thinking about <laughs> what Tua did yesterday. Oh, Sam. <laughs> Just... <woo. laughs> Just Twitching a little bit. Sam
2: Oof. Sam, your Wildcats are improving, my friend. They had an epic win. Oh, Who even remembers what happened on Sunday? Don't
1: don't think I wasn't telling myself that <laughs> every, every one of those 70 points that Miami scored against the Broncos. Don't think I wasn't yeah. thinking back to the night before. Uh in any case, on Peacock, Illinois at Purdue. Purdue, a one point home favorite. Oh. Is on a streaming service. How many people are actually gonna watch that? I mean Honestly, like I I would
2: have said, not seeing the line, coin flip. And the casinos basically agree, right? I mean, I think I watched what, you know, how Illinois looked against Penn State, how Purdue's looked against everyone. And again, I I, I don't see much separation between these two teams. And I see both of these teams as eminently beatable by the Northwestern Wildcats. That is not where I was at the start of this season. And that's where I am now. And that's a
1: credit to everything that's happened. Uh, w- Wagner and Rutgers uh, also two thirty, um, and Rutgers, then yeah, the night game on NBC, uh, Michigan State at Iowa. Oof, broken, Iowa, an eleven wow. and a half point favorite over under thirty six and a half.
0: Broken team versus broken team. Um, yeah, Woof, indeed. Yeah, this is I- Iowa's probably going to win this, and they're probably going to like regain some some. I don't know, standing with, with like with with the broader um national perspective. Um, but God, they like they gotta they gotta do a lot more than house an, uh, an ailing Michigan State team for for me to think that there's there's that they've solved their problems. I mean it just it it no. it could not be clearer that frankly, I think they're like I don't think their defense is as good this year as it was last year.
2: It's not. And I mean, it's it's still really good.
0: Yeah, but but it's not as good, and and the potential off, off the potential. Um, I talked in our Iowa preview about three potential fixes they had for their major glaring problems, and uh, they're not explosive in their skill position group either at running back or receiver. They lost their most reliable target in in tight end Luke Latchy, and um, McNamara has been. Um, kind of running for his life behind that undersized offensive line. that can't get any push in the run game and hasn't really been able to protect him. Now I don't think they're going to fumble the ball four times most games. So I don't think they'll look as bad as it against Penn state, but they look barely less anemic on, on the margins than they did last year.
1: Looking at the kind of the national scene, I'm kind of interested in this Friday night game um, in Corvallis, Utah at Oregon state. It's it's Pac-12 after dark on a Friday night, but uh, I, I mean that's
0: an interesting one. So Oregon State kind of got their, I mean they it ended up as a three point game, but they kind of got their butts kicked by like at Washington State. Um, and at the same time, we know they're really good and they're 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 a very strong team with like like a good a good rush D, like a great rush D, and. Utah is a very like they're pretty balanced offense but I think like they generally they want to run the ball especially with without Cam Rising so um I think there's some interesting strength on strength here this will this this should be a fun one Maybe I'll maybe I'll wear my Beavers shirt that night Nice
2: Hey I I'm just saying if 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 DJU wants to be quarterback of an orange team that has a chance in a game against Utah, at least he's playing for Oregon State. <laughs> oh,
1: that was for it.
2: you, Skyes. I
0: love it. Oh, that makes me so happy, John. Uh, we, we 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 there's there's another game that we must talk about this upcoming weekend, and it's Notre Dame at Duke.
2: Mm. Oh yeah, God, I I've been it's been been so focused on Notre Dame's. Uh, Ohio State game that man, I mean, I so
0: so so let's call a spade a spade. Um, if Notre Dame has 11 players on the field the last two plays of the game instead of 10, I think there's a I don't know, Ohio State probably still punches it in from that one yard line, but God, there's a like a like a much better chance that they actually win that game if they don't if they don't make a stupid play call on the third and 19 they dropped eight and they just pressured with three. They like when, when, every time they pressured McCord in the fourth quarter, he failed. And if they had just like brought four at him, don't even bring five, just bring four at him and try to collapse the pocket a little bit. I think they're in far better shape. Um, You know,
2: you know, another team that would have a really good chance of beating Ohio state Duke
0: Duke. Well, so here's my point. My point is that like, I think Notre Dame should be five and Oh right now. And I think that they're pretty good on defense. I think Hartman's the real deal. Like, as like the probably the best quarterback they've had in a long, long time. And um, they've got a ton going for them. Um, Their coach is still really green and I'm stunned that they're favored in this game. I think Duke is better. And I think Duke wins. I can't, I can't believe Duke's 17th still. What doesn't
2: this team do well? They're six. Point, I they're
0: five and a half point underdogs against Notre Dame, hosting at home, hosting
2: Notre Dame. Yeah, again, I yeah. I mean, these are two really good football teams, and I'm with you again. I I mean, I think it's really tight. I think it could go either way, but you could easily talk me into Duke winning.
1: Um, looks like Fox is uh, setting up shop in Boulder again. Well, oh, we should also mention Game Day going to Duke for the first time. Oh, is Game Day yeah, going game, to Duke? Uh, that's that's what, awesome.
0: I think that that's what I heard.
1: That's, oh, that's awesome. super cool.
0: Good for yeah. them, you know. I mean, yeah. I mean, screw Duke, but also like, yeah, it's cool. Yeah, it's coming. Yeah, game day is going to Duke for the very first time. Um, wow! And then where did you say Big Noon was? Uh, probably Boulder.
2: I mean, it's Caleb Williams versus Dion. Oh like yeah, I, USC
0: versus. It's, the- <laughs>
2: yeah, it's which again. I think we all got a dose of reality with Colorado last week. But I mean, again, yeah. you kind of just yeah. have to flush Oregon and, and yeah. uh, USC out of your system here. Like, yeah. I think they're, they're Colorado's still ahead of the curve. Here. Well,
0: what's wild is this is the one other team in all of college football that can roll out the type of high profile fans and celebrities mm-hmm. that Colorado can. And that USC, like, I mean, when Colorado hosted Colorado State a couple weeks ago, right? Like the Rock was there, and Lil Wayne came out with the team originally. Like you had a whole a ton of different, you know, slubs. Um, like I, I feel like I feel like USC is going to travel with like two extra charter flights. Um,
2: sure, Taylor Swift will find a way to get to Boulder. <laughs> no, first
0: game. no, no! Don't you dare, Taylor Swift is a UC Bearcats fan.
1: Uh, oh, okay.
0: Well, because. Like, she's in, she's in, she's in, Kelsey's in
1: the, a, Kelsey's a bearcat. Yeah. Right?
0: Kelsey's a bearcat. She's in the press oh, box screaming, like true. let's effing go after he scores touchdowns. Like she's coming to a UC game in the bye week is the, what I'm uh, telling there you. Yeah.
1: you the, there you go. Uh, over under in that game, 73 and a half. USC is a 21 and a half point road favorite. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> like,
0: uh, like, like everything that we've been talking about in terms of like the downside for Colorado came to fruition this past weekend the lines they're undersized they just got colorado state showed showed you you can beat them up a little bit with with your size and oregon did just that now um usc has been called a finesse team by um many in the past <laughs> not. <laughs> um but uh like i i like Colorado has got a target on them from you know, everybody wants a piece of, of this team, you know, that they, that they think is flying too high, et cetera. So, you know, USC is going to give them their best game. Caleb Williams is really, really good, uh, but it should be fun regardless. I don't think it's yeah. going to be a 42, nothing blowout. I'll put it that way.
1: Uh, had anyone else clocked that Kansas is undefeated for zero?
0: Yeah. yeah. Kansas is good. They got a great quarterback.
1: Yeah, future Northwestern head coach Lance Leopold. That's not happening.
0: Hey now, I know. Hey I know. now,
2: at this point, we're riding with our guy. We're we
1: are. Uh, we're I'm, dancing. I'm, I'm
0: gonna I'm gonna. Res- this is no shade to Braun. No, no, no.
1: I'm no. I'm going to reserve judgment till the end of the year. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, but yeah, Kansas at Texas. Yeah, I mean, I how can... is Texas number
0: three? I have no idea. Texas is number. How is Texas
1: number three? Texas There's is number.
2: Uh, they're the, dying to lose this game. Do not get it. That. It's because they.
0: It's because they beat Alabama, and looked darn good doing it. And then they've smoked the other three teams they've played: Rice, Wyoming, and Baylor.
1: Oh, yeah, go get them. Well, they. I mean, the Wyoming game was like real close until very late. Like they pulled away late in that one. Yeah, Wyoming was giving them all they could handle. Yep. Yeah. Uh, LSU, will Miss.
2: Yeah, Ole Miss had their shot and they, Yeah, they did. And they, yeah, they blew they, it. So
0: did they did they look any good in that game? I, I didn't No, I don't think I, so. I, I, no, I just no. saw
1: they lost by two touchdowns and was kinda like, eh, all right, yeah. yep, that seems that seems about right. Nothing else is really jumping off at the page. Um Washington's probably just gonna manhandle Arizona. Michael panics. Holy shit. Dude. Uh
0: so so John, you said earlier there's there's no God team and like nobody like dom- like Washington is the one team that everyone's kind of like consistently saying like, well, this team looks incredible and they're dominating.
2: Penix is Heisman to lose. He, it's it's yeah. his, if he wants it, he just has to keep doing what he's doing.
0: Now they haven't really, you know, they, they, they played a, a, a not great Boise team, Tulsa, you know, Michigan state the week after Tucker gets, gets fired. And then, and then Cal. So the, the, the opponents have not been good, but they have not scored less than 41 points yet. Um, and, uh, uh, two weeks when they play Oregon, that'll be. I assume that's going to be game day. That'll be a lot of fun. How oh, about the pa- How about the Pac twelve with all these teams playing so great
1: in in their swan song? Yeah, it's good. Just dissolving next year. It's Classic. Yeah, Penix through four games, sixteen hundred yards, sixteen touchdowns, and two picks.
0: I love Michael Penix. We've we this is a Michael Penix no, podcast. Absolutely. We have always loved Michael Penix, and we've always like when he was at Indiana, we were just terrified of him every year. And when we weren't playing them. We were like, "Oh my god!" People look out for Michael Penix, and then he did like incredible things and got injured. And we're so happy that 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 he's having this kind of success at Washington. It's awesome to see.
1: Anything else before we get out of here? I know it, uh, it's it's been a long one, but I, I think it's been very very good to revel in this kind of victory.
2: I just want to go back to where we started, um, where again, Sam and I were. After this game, and we we were down outside the locker room with just joyous, happy people who needed a win. I mean, literally and figuratively, and got one in just one of the best fashions. And just the amount of conversations before and after the game with awesome people. And, you know, a bunch of those, some of those people called the game. Some of those people were on the field after the game. Some of these people were the awesome players who played in this game and then their parents. And then, I mean, we saw Mike Gordon from Learfield after the game had a great conversation with him. It's just everybody in this community had a great moment to celebrate together and to be really happy about. And we were right in the middle of it. And again, it was emotional and fantastic.
0: A lot of people use the cardiac cats terminal. In fact, David Braun busted it out of the post game press conference, which I was pretty damn impressed with. Um, that he had that one, that one queued up, um, and I tweeted this, but but I wanted to say it here as well. So, in the two thousands, they were the cardiac cats, and Northwestern fans were desperate for competent defense to go along with their explosive offense. And then in the twenty tens, Northwestern fielded an elite defense. And we called them the cardiac cats because of how often that defense came through at the end of games and us cardiac cat fans begged and pled for just good offense to go alongside our excellent D and on Saturday in the second half, we saw both of these things, maybe, maybe like maybe for the first time since the the Maryland game to open the 2020 season and like, this is let's just let this be a moment for the cats to build on and let's cheer them on to do that and know that it's not going to go perfect and it's not going to be a linear path and they're going to be ups and downs, but let's, let's, let's build on this moment of excellence as a community and as a, and
1: as a fandom
0: uh, and, and enjoy the ride from here.
1: Yeah. Amen to that brother. Well, uh, that'll just about do it for this episode. Uh, head to our website, westlawpirates.com, where you can leave comments and questions. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Pirates, and email the show, westlawpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics. Look for us in the west side Ryan Field flying the red pirate flag, because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. For John Lacombe and Eric Scousel, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.